A person's last words are insightful, oftentimes. I, uh, I wrote down some famous last words. Queen Elizabeth I's last words, this is 1603. She said, all my possessions for a moment of time. It seems that being the painter of the Mona Lisa and the Last Supper, we're going to observe communion here together tonight in a little bit, um, you know, the, the famous Last Supper painting by Leonardo da Vinci, it seems as if that wasn't enough for him. His last words were words of regret. He says, I have offended God and mankind because my work did not reach the quality it should have. Words of regret from a very uh, skilled artist. Uh, the famed movie director Alfred Hitchcock, his last words were words of uncertainty. He said, one never knows the ending. One has to die to know exactly what happens after death. He had no idea what was about to happen to him. Words of uncertainty. Uh, former president Dwight D. Eisenhower's last words. In fact, he spoke these words on my, the day I was born, Dwight Eisenhower died. Uh, March 28, 1969, uh, his words were words of anticipation, fulfillment, and triumph. He said, I want to go. I'm ready to go. God, take me. Those were his last words. If you were going to script your last words, what would you say? What would you say to your family? What would you want to say to your friends, to your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ? It's something to ponder. It's something to think about. Well, as we come to Joshua chapter 23, what we are reading are Joshua's last words. Joshua 23 and 24, these are uh, what many scholars say are two sermons, two different sermons, though very much alike. Tonight we're going to look at chapter 23. Next time we will look at chapter 24. But these are Joshua's last words. He's gathered the leaders, he's gathered the people together, and he wants to challenge them to be faithful to God. He's 110 years old, and he knows that he's about to die. In fact, if you look at verse number 14, he says, I am now going the way of the whole earth. You see, Joshua knew what was going to happen to him. So he gathers the people together, and he speaks these words words to them. And I believe that these words can help us in our own Christian lives right here, right now, in 2023, as we live for Jesus Christ. And really what we find here, I think Paul's, some of Paul's last words, I think Joshua could sincerely say with Paul, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. This is what we find in Joshua 23 and Joshua 24. So Joshua, be Joshua begins with reflection, and then he gives some instruction, and then he ends with a caution, all right? So let's take those one at a time. First of all, Joshua begins with some reflection. And that is, Joshua looks backward. Now, I suppose, don't you, that it's common at the end of life to look backward. I would suppose that's, wouldn't that, doesn't that sound about right? If you know that you're coming to the end of your life, yeah, you tend to look back. In fact, some people say, if, if maybe you've had this experience, that in, in this near-death experience, sometimes someone's, 
They say their life flashed before their eyes, right? That's all backwards. That's looking backwards at life. Well, Joshua looks backwards, and he's not doing it for his own benefit. He's not doing it uh, for his own encouragement. He's doing it for the people. He's doing it for the hearers. And he reminds the hearers, he reminds God's people of God's mighty works on their behalf. By the way, which they had seen with their very own eyes. That's what he says here. We'll read it in a second. Why is he doing this? Why does he remind them? Well, the same reason we need to be reminded. Why is that? Because we have a tendency to forget. Particularly, we have a tendency to forget God's good works. I know it's, it's easy for us to remember the hurts and the trials. It's easy for us to remember the pain, right? Because oftentimes that pain leaves such a deep scar in our life. And sometimes it's just a, a little trigger, something that happens in our week. And man, we are taken back in our mind. We go backwards in our mind. And we go back to a moment, a place where we, where, we, where we had some deep hurt in our life. It's easy for us to remember those times. But for some reason... We have a tendency to forget God's good works. And this is why throughout the Old Testament, God is constantly reminding his people. He uses his messengers, his prophets, right? He uses his men and women to speak to his people and to continually remind them of what he had done for them. So here is Joshua looking backward in reflection, and he reminds them of this. This is Joshua 23. Look at verse 3. He says, you have seen for yourselves everything the Lord your God did to all these nations on your account because it was the Lord fighting for you. Jump down to verse 9. He says, the Lord has driven out great and powerful nations before you and no one is able to stand against you to this day. One of you routed a thousand because the Lord your God was fighting for you as he promised. You see what Joshua's reflecting on? He's reflecting on two things. The first first thing he's reflecting on is how God has fought for his people, right? We see it a couple times there. He says that it was the Lord fighting for you in verse 3 and verse 10. It was the Lord your God who was fighting for you. And so Joshua distinctly declares God to be the champion of Israel. You see, the Canaanite nations, as Joshua points out there in verse 9, they were great and powerful. In fact, that's the reason why, if you remember, at Kadesh Barnea, 40 plus years now, many more than that now at this point, uh, they refused to go into the promised land because the spies went in, they saw the cities, they saw the powerful nations, and, and that scared them. And they didn't think that they could conquer them. They were leaving God out. They were only looking at their own human abilities. And Joshua is just reminding, he's reflecting, he's saying, folks, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget that God, because he was actively and supernaturally uh, fighting for you, this is why we have had the victories that we've had. Joshua is saying, folks, this, it was God who subdued our enemies. It was God who made us productive, victorious 
warriors. It was God, and it had always been God. Doesn't the same go for us today, church? Doesn't it? It's God, and it's always been God. All the credit, right? All the glory for any good thing in our lives. It was great a few minutes ago just to pass the mic around and give the Lord some praise. Remember the good things, what God has been doing in our life, lives, the, the battles that have been won. It's all God. It's God who's been fighting for us. Every victory, every enemy that's been defeated, ever defeated in your life, in every success in your life, it all goes back to God. We often want to take credit for the successes and pass the buck on our, on our losses, don't we? Right? Uh, but it's the other way around. God is the one who gets the glory for the battles that have been won in our life. Look, it's no surprise tonight that we have enemies. We've talked about this throughout. We've seen the various enemies as, uh, as Israel has gone into the promised land. We've likened, we've, we've seen the comparisons there between the Canaanites and the enemies that we face. And I remind us tonight that Paul wrote that our enemy is not against flesh and blood, right? Amen. Uh, the enemy is not the person staring you in the face. You know, it's, not, it's not that person that you know, is crawling under your skin. That is not your enemy. Paul says our enemy, our, our enemy, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of this darkness, evil spiritual forces in the heavens. This enemy that we face will stop at nothing to defeat us, to bring us to destruction. And so if we're going to live in 2023 as salt like Dave was just kind of, I think, alluding to that a minute ago in, in his testimony. I mean, you look at what's going on in the world today. If we're going to live as salt and light in this world today, we won't go very long without encountering obstacles and attacks. We're not going to go very far without facing an enemy, the enemy. We're not going to go very far with, with what distractions he will hurl in our, in our direction. But here's what we have to remember. We have to remember that there is a powerful hope within us that keeps us strong because our hope is in God. And God is greater than the enemy that you and I face. Our God is greater, and he still fights for us today. You know, the, the New Testament is rich with reminders of that, how Jesus fought the fight that we couldn't win. He overcame the enemy. He told his disciples in John 16, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good courage. Take heart because I have overcome the world. Jesus is the overcomer. Jesus fought the enemy. Jesus did battle. This is what Paul wrote in Colossians 2, 15. He said, that Jesus on the cross disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. Who's he talking about there? He's not talking about the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He's talking about the devil and his gang. That's what he's talking about. That Jesus on the cross, right? On the cross, it looked like Jesus had lost. Like the whole thing was going downhill. I like, like the battle's been won by Satan and his forces, but, that, but just the opposite was happening. There on the cross, 
As Jesus paid our sin debt on that cross, the Bible tells us that in that moment, he disarmed the enemy. He took their weapons away from them, and he disgraced them publicly. This is how they would do it back in that day. When they went in and he conquered, they would disarm, disarm them, and then they would chain them, and they'd drag them through. They'd bring them back to Rome, and they'd drag them through town. They'd parade them through. Here's our defeated enemy. That is what Jesus did in the, on the cross. And then it says he triumphed over them. And that word triumph there goes back to the Roman triumph, and we talked about that here a couple weeks ago what the Roman triumph was. And it was, all, it was all a picture of the great victory that had been wrought. Jesus is our victory. So listen, listen, listen. If you are in the heat of the battle right now, if you feel like the enemy is hot on your trail, no, you're not alone. You're not alone. He hasn't left you on your own. He hasn't left you to fight for yourself. He is with you. The Lord fights for you. And remember, he's already won the victory. So, no matter what the enemy tries to throw your way, trust that the battle is already won in Jesus' name. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Every enemy has already lost the war. He is the victor. And so, no matter what the battle looks like for you right now, what you need to be reminded of is that with 100% certainty, victory already belongs to the people of God. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the victor. He's the victor. It's a good thing to reflect on, isn't it? Boy, that's something we need to reflect on often. And Joshua here in his last words, he's like, don't, don't forget. It was God who was fighting for you. Don't start taking credit for all the victories. God was the one fighting for you. And then he reflects back on the reality that God had been faithful to them. We see this. Uh, in ver look at verse number 10. This is chapter 23 again. Verse 10 God was fighting for you as he promised. Verse 14, none, Joshua says, none, no, notice the words here, none of the good promises the Lord your God made to you has failed. None. And he goes on, everything was fulfilled. Nothing failed. Everything was fulfilled for you. Not one promise has failed failed. Verse 15, every good thing the Lord your God has promised you has come about. Church, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. Ten out of ten times. He always keeps his word. God's prophet Balaam declared, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? It's a rhetorical question. He speaks and he acts, promises, and he fulfills. And that's what Joshua is reflecting on. He's reminding us of that. Moses said this. He said, know that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God. We just sang about our faithful God a minute ago, who keeps his gracious covenant uh, loyalty for a thousand generations. It's been a little while since Joshua lived. 
Has it been a thousand generations? I don't know how to do that math. But I don't think the idea is God keeps his promises to a thousand generations at a thousand and one. It's like checking out. No more promises fulfilled. No, that's, that's, not, that's not what Moses was getting at. Moses was getting at the longevity. That from generation to generation, God is faithful. Have you seen the faithfulness of God in your life? Haven't you? Have you seen that? Have you seen, can't you look in the rear view, rear view, excuse me, can't you reflect back and see? God's been faithful to you. He's been faithful to you. The scripture tells us that God's faithfulness is abounding. This is Psalm 86, 15. You, O Lord, are a God filled, filled with faithfulness. His, his faithfulness, praise God, is not dependent on us. Amen? <laughs> If God's faithfulness was dependent on us, boy, we'd be in trouble. Paul writes in Romans 3, if some were unfaithful, will their unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? And Paul replies, absolutely not. Our unfaithfulness does not nullify God's faithfulness. And all God's people said, amen, hallelujah. You see, if God's faithfulness was dependent on my faithfulness, oh boy, he wouldn't be faithful God a long time ago. God is faithful all the time. You know, I think about how little sense it makes that God is faithful to us when we are not faithful and loyal to him as consistently as he is with us, and it's hard for us to process that. So how, why, how? I think we can think of it this way, that when we're faithful to someone, even when they're not faithful to us, why do we do that? There's really only one answer. It's yes, because we love them, right? That's, that's, that's the only reason I can come up with. In the same way, God is faithful to us and for us, even when we're not, why? Because, yes, in fact, he loves us. You see, his perfect faithfulness is based in his perfect love that he has for us. Isn't that good to be reminded of tonight? That God loves us faithfully and God will always keep his promises to us, not based on our faithfulness, not because we're always faithful, but because he is always faithful. And so what does God's faithfulness do? It gives us confident hope. Paul, well, the author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10, he says, let us hold to the confession of, of our hope without wavering. Why? Since he who promised is faithful. You know, there's seasons in life, we've all been through them, where you wonder, can I survive this? How are we going to get through this? Maybe you're going through something one of those seasons right now. We all, we all face them, the battles, the cares of this, of this life, and it's precisely at those times that I believe that we need to stop and reflect backwards. We need to look backwards and be reminded that God is the one who fights for us and that God is the one who is faithful and God is the one who keeps his promises, and that can help us have hope and confidence 
and encouragement in the midst of the battle that we're facing. So I, I challenge you tonight to do that, to look backwards, reflect on God's goodness. In a few minutes tonight, we're gonna observe communion. And why do we have communion, church? Why did Jesus tell us to observe this, this simple ordinance, crackers and juice? Is it because, you know, it, it's kind of nice to have at the end of the service a little cracker and juice because the, ser- the sermon's long and we're tired? No, it's not what it's about. You know that's not what it's about. We do it, why? Jesus said, do this in remembrance. We do this in reflection. We do this to look backward and to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. His body was broken. His blood was shed for us. Not because we were faithful. (laughs) Not because we cleaned ourselves up and, boy, we were so worthy. No. Paul wrote to the Romans, he said, that it was in while we were yet sinners that Christ demonstrated, Christ showed, God showed his love to us there on the cross. So here's the principle. Write it down. Here's the principle for number one. Never lose sight of what you have seen God do. Never lose sight of that. Never lose sight of what you have seen God do. Here's the second thing. So he moves from reflection. He moves then into instruction. And here Joshua looks toward. Who's he looking toward? He's looking toward the people. He's the one, he's getting ready to check out. He's getting ready to go on to glory. And so he's looked back, he, he's lifted up the Lord. He said, look at God's face. He's, the, he's, the, he's your champion. It's God who's your champion. Now he looks toward the people and he instructs them. Here's his instruction, look at verse six. Be very strong and continue obeying all that is written in the book of the law of Moses so that you do not turn from it to the left or the right, right or left. Verse seven, and so that you do not associate with these nations remaining among you. Do not call on the names of their gods or make an oath to them. Do not serve them or bow down to them and worship them. Instead, verse eight, be loyal to the Lord your God as you have been to this day. Diligently, verse 11, watch yourselves. Love the Lord your God. You see what he's doing? He looks toward the people and he says, listen, the same God who has been faithful to you now, he calls you to be faithful to him. That's to be our response to the faithfulness of God. We're to respond to him with faithfulness. And so Joshua gives both some positive and negative instruction. He gives both do's and don'ts. Positive and negative, do's and don'ts, okay? So let's look at the positive instruction first, the do's. He gives two do's in relationship to ourselves, and then he gives two, three do's in relationship to the Lord. The first two do's relate to ourself, and the first one is to be strong. He says, do be strong, be very strong, verse six. And I think that Joshua's drawing on God's instruction to him. You go back to the first chapter, This is what God told, this is what the Lord told Joshua three times in chapter one. Be strong and courageous. Remember that? Three times. They're getting ready to go into the land. And he he says to Joshua, be strong and and be courageous. So what's going on there? Is God instructing Joshua then? And is Joshua instructing the people now to grit their teeth and, you know, to muscle up, to think positively, to, you know, think like a man? Think confidently, face the battle, you know? Is that, is that what he's, is Joshua simply saying man up? Is that, is that what this whole be strong thing is all about? I don't think so. 
I think what this is, it's a call to have inner resolve to rise up and do what God had called them to do. Take the hill. Be strong, take the hill. God called you to take the hill, now take the hill. Have that inner resolve. God is not looking for strong people. He really isn't. I mean, you get, you get into the New Testament, and I'm so thankful for chapters like 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, where he says, you know, God, God takes the weak. He, he really, he loves choosing the foolish, you know, and, and using them. Why? Because when we're weak, Paul said, that's when we're strong. We're strong in Christ when we, when we recognize our own weaknesses. God, I don't think God's looking for strong people. He can use strong people. He used a guy like Samson, but, you know, Samson's strength got the better of him. Here he had some physical strength, but he didn't have a whole lot of inner strength, did he? He really, he really didn't. And so there needs to be this inner resolve. I believe that God is looking for weak people that he can be strong through when we resolve to live for him and to take the hill that he's called us to, de- to take. Paul said, for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who, what? Strengthens. Who strengthens me. He says to the Ephesians, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Over and over in scripture, we see this. In Psalm, wait for the Lord, be strong. Let your heart be courageous. Be strong and let your heart be courageous, all you put hope in the Lord, Psalm 31. Paul says to the Corinthians, be alert, stand firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong. We see it over and over and over in Scripture. And so being strong, I think we can just simply understand it is the opposite of being apathetic and complacent. We all know what that is. Spiritual weakness, Right? The Christian who's complacent is just leaning back in his spiritual easy chair with his feet up. Have you been there before? I think we've all been there at some point in our life. But complacency in the Christian life, it's deadly. It's deadly. Apathy is dangerous. Why? Because we're at war. Because we're in a battle. Because we have an enemy who wants to devour us. We can't be apathetic. We can't sit back weakly. We must be strong in the Lord, in his might. Christian, I want to encourage you, to don't, don't plateau in Christ and grow complacent, grow strong in him. I believe that this is our responsibility. God is faithful. God will fight our battles. But he says that it's our responsibility to grow strong in him. Grow strong in him. Continue to grow strong in him. The second do that he he speaks of regarding ourselves, he says, do guard yourself. This is verse 11. Diligently watch yourselves. And that word there in the Hebrew, it, it, it has the, it's the same word that's used to describe a shepherd watching his sheep or a watchman watching the, the city gate. And throughout the scripture, we see instruction about this as well. The Proverbs, one proverb says, guard your heart above all else. For out of it is the source of life. Another proverb says, there are thorns and snares on the way of the crooked. The one who guards himself stays far away from them. Yet another proverb says, the highway of the upright avoids evil. The one who guards his way protects his life. Paul wrote to Timothy, pay close attention to your life. Boy, this is instruction that we need to heed. 
We must be on guard. We must guard our heart. We must watch our own selves, our own lives. Are you carefully paying attention to your life? Joshua, he's just got a few words left. And he wants to make sure that the people know, pay attention to yourself, watch yourself, guard your heart. Then he gives three do's relating to the Lord. He says, do obey the Lord in verse six. Continue obeying all that is written in the book. There he refers to the law of Moses. And of course today we're not under the law of Moses. We're under the law of Christ. And the law of Christ actually kind of whittles it all down to loving God and loving our neighbor. We'll see that uh, here in a minute. But, but what Joshua is simply saying, what we can take and apply to our lives today from this is that we are to keep doing the word of God. We are to continue to obey the word of God consistently and steadfastly and not get sidetracked. He says in there, obey every commandment, right? We have to be careful about cherry-picking the commandments we want to obey. I mean, some commandments, I guess, we might find particularly easier to obey than others, and I guess there are some that we might just totally ignore because we just want to, okay? I'm not talking, again, about the, the Old Testament rules and regulations. I'm not talking about that. What I am talking about is the Word of God, as we know it, as we read it, as we study today, are we living in obedience to it? Or are we taking some of the commandments or taking some of the Scripture and saying, you know, I'll do this, but I'm, I'm going to ignore that. If we're going to if we're going to be wise in our walk with Christ, we must relate to God in obedience. He also says here to be loyal to the Lord. He says in verse 8, be loyal to the Lord your God. And that word loyal is a relational word. It means to cling to, to join with, to stay close to, to be stuck together. And that's what we're to be with God. We are to, we are to stay stuck together with him. We're to be loyal to him. I think that the, the friendship of David and Jonathan is the classic example in the Bible of what this looks like, Lo a loyal friend. You remember that story, right? I mean, here, uh, Jonathan's father, King Saul, is after David's life, but Jonathan was a loyal friend to David. I think another great illustration of loyalty uh, in the Bible is Naomi and, and uh, Ruth and Naomi, right? Uh, uh, Ruth being Naomi's daughter-in-law. A beautiful picture of loyalty in the Bible. I know that loyalty used to be something. It doesn't seem to be much of a thing anymore, you know, nowadays. But what I want you to know is that God still calls us to be loyal to him, to be loyal to him. Why is it hard to find loyalty today? I guess we could narrow it down to one, one, one thing, self-centeredness. Self-centeredness. And you know, self-centeredness will always be a problem in our relationship with God. We have to die to self if we're gonna be loyal to God. Are you being loyal to him? And then he says, the third do here is, he says in verse 11, that we're to love the Lord. Do love the Lord. In every dimension of our life, right? This is the, this is the great commandment, to love the Lord our God with what? 
all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind. In other words, in every dimension of our life, we are to love him. We're to love him. Why shouldn't we? I mean, he's been faithful to us. He's fought our battles. And yet sometimes we struggle with that and we set our affections on on other things. But he calls us to love him and Joshua calls the people in his final words, love the Lord with all of your heart. So he gives this positive instruction then he gives the negative instruction. That is the don'ts, the don'ts. And he says two things. Don't turn away from the Lord in verse six and don't worship and serve other gods, verse seven. And that's just pretty clear. I mean, how are we going to love the Lord with all of our heart and obey the Lord if we're worshiping other gods? If, and I understand today, we don't, we're not going to go down to the store and buy ourselves a little Buddha or some little idol and sit down and start worshiping that thing and pray, praying to that thing. I understand that, but, but it's true that we can have idols that come into our lives, isn't it? Other, whatever replaces God in our life is another God. It's, another, it's an idol in our life. And the simple don'ts are, hey, don't turn away from the Lord. Don't turn to other gods and worship and serve them. Jesus confirmed this in the New Testament. He said, no man can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other, be devoted to the one and despise the other. It's one or the other. It's either God or another God. And if God has been faithful to us, shouldn't we be faithful to him, amen? Here's the principle here in the instruction, and that is simply never leave undone what God calls you to do. Never leave undone what God calls you to do. And then he moves to a caution. And here Joshua looks forward. So he's looked backward, he's looked toward the people, he's given this instruction, and now he looks forward. And again, we see a positive and a negative. The positive is in verse number five. He says, the Lord your God will force them back on your account. He'll drive them out before you so that you can take possession of their land as the Lord your God promised you. I mean, as we've come to this point, I mean, for the most part, the the enemy has been eradicated, but there are still these little pockets And God says, I will continue to drive them out of the land. I will do that. I will do what I have said. And so what what is God doing here? He's ensuring victory. He's ensuring freedom for them. He's ensuring blessing to them. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that what we need? Victory and freedom? Amen? Don't, don't Don't we long for in our life the blessing of God? Joshua looks forward and says, look, God will bless you. He will give you victory. He will give you freedom from your enemies. But the negative side of this is, as Joshua looks forward, he reminds them that sin brings chastening. And we see this in verses 12 and 13. He says, but listen, folks, if you ever turn away from the Lord, if you ever become loyal to uh, to the rest of these nations remaining among you, If you intermarry with them, associate with them, he says, know for certain that the Lord your God will not continue to drive out these nations before you, but they will become a snare and a trap and a sharp stick for your sides and thorns in your eyes until you disappear from this good land the Lord your God has given you. And it shows us what sin does in our life. It shows us that sin traps like a snare, like like a trap, how sin affects our daily walk and testimony as traps. We've all known what it is to be trapped into trapped by sin, right? 
We're enticed by our own lust, James says, and, and it's, it's a trap. It's bond, it becomes bondage, and that's what sin does, and we have to remember that. And Joshua's just warning us. He's warning the people. He's saying, look, don't turn from God. God will bless you and give you victory. He will drive out the enemy, but you can't. You must not. You must not turn from him, and if you do, the sin will become a trap for you. It sin traps Sin hurts. You see, the, you see the description there? A sharp stick in your sides? That's a goad. That's what sin does. Sin affects our rest and our peace. It hinders and limits us like a wound. We've, we've experienced that. Sin traps, it hurts, it blinds. Thorns for your eyes, he says. All right? Sin blinds us. It affects our goals. It affects our dreams. It affects our vision for God. And ultimately, he says, sin destroys. He says, until you disappear out of this good land that the Lord your God has given you. So what, is it, what does all that mean? It means one thing is sure. The Christian walking in sin is not a happy one. The Christian walking in sin is a miserable, hurting one. Right? The devil doesn't sell it that way in the temptation. But that's what sin always leads to. It always scourges and robs us. We, we might get what we want, but lose what we had. Might get our desires, but lose our delight in the Lord. We might enjoy our sin, at least for a season, but you know what we'll lose? Our serenity, our peace of heart. We may love the the fleshly deeds, but lose the freedom that we have in Christ, in our determination to go on in victory and live for him. So here's the principle in the caution, and that is never limit what God will do by what you do. Never limit what God will do by what you do. So here's the three principles. Let me wrap them up and we're done. Never lose sight of what you've seen God do. Do you need to remember all the Lord has done for you? Here in a minute, we're gonna partake of the Lord's Supper. This is an opportunity for us to remember the victory that Christ has wrought for us on the cross. Maybe tonight you just need to spend some more time reflecting, looking backward at God's faithfulness in your life. Second principle, never leave undone what God calls you to do. So what does that mean? Are we drawing our strength from him? Are we watching ourselves? Are we guarding our heart? Are we walking in loyalty and loving obedience to the Lord? Or are we stubbornly going our own way? And the third principle, never limit what God will do by what you do. Are we living in the freedom and the victory and the blessing that only God can provide or have we been trapped and been blinded by sin? If so, confess it and forsake it so that you don't limit what God can do in your life and in his church. Amen? Last words. Pretty powerful stuff, isn't it? And I think we would be wise here thousands of years after Joshua to listen to what this guy said before he passed on and to reflect on our own life and incorporate in our own life these truths that he shared with us. Father, help us, help us. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for fighting 
on our behalf. God, thank you for the victory that you have won for us. Now help us, God, to respond to your faithfulness with faithfulness toward you. We can't do this in our own strength. We need your strength, your power. May we grow strong in Christ so that we may live obedient lives and loyal, live in loyal loyally to Christ and loving our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. I pray that tonight each of us would leave here with the heart of, yeah, that's what I want to do. That's who I want to be by your strength, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.